Good morning, my brothers and sisters of Naperville Covenant Church. And to anyone else who might be joining in and watching today, uh, God's grace and peace to you. My name is Kelly Johnston, and I serve in leadership at Naperville Covenant Church. I'm also an ordained covenant pastor, but I'm currently shepherding a very small flock of my three little boys as a stay-at-home mom. I just want to start by saying thank you. Thank you for taking the time today to connect with God in worship. Thank you for taking the time today to hopefully connect with your brothers and sisters in Christ in some way. Thank you for bearing with me now uh, because I did not take the televangelism class in seminary. Actually, I don't think they even offered one. But I am grateful for the technology uh, that allows me to share with you this morning. And I just want to give a shout out to our worship director, Kayla Davenport, who's done an amazing job of uh, figuring all this stuff out so that we can continue connecting and worshiping together. And of course, I want to thank Pastor X for the opportunity to preach today. He's been really sick this week, and we've been praying for him a lot, as well as praying for many others. But it was actually months ago that Pastor X asked me if I would preach on this passage on this day. And I remember it took me a few weeks to get back to him with a yes, because there was a possibility that I might be traveling this weekend. And those plans ended up getting uh, rescheduled for a little bit later. And of course, now those plans have been put on hold indefinitely, like so much in our lives right now. It's an understatement to say that a lot has changed about our lives and our world in these past few weeks as the coronavirus has spread everywhere. But I'm reminded of Isaiah 40, verse 8, that the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of God stands forever. We've been asked to give up a lot in these past few weeks, some by choice and some not by choice. But we do not have to give up the strength and encouragement that comes from the word of God. And so I feel very privileged to reflect with you this morning on the scriptures. Now, if you don't already have a Bible open to Luke chapter 22, when Pastor Josiah read it, um, I want to encourage you to find a Bible. Uh, or if you've got multiple devices, maybe you can have your video going on one and get a Bible app open on the other. And find Luke chapter 22, verse 39 through 46. As we begin, I'd like to pause for prayer. God, we do thank you for your word and for the truth that speaks to us throughout the ages. I pray that your Holy Spirit would assist us now, that you would open our hearts, our minds to the truth that you want us to receive and to understand. Pray that you would use me, Lord, somehow to communicate what you want your people to hear in this moment. In Jesus' name, amen. There's a hymn that was written in the 19th century called Go to Dark Gethsemane, and somehow it's become a favorite in our house. Um, and each verse in this hymn is about a different place during Jesus' passion. Gethsemane, Judgment Hall, Calvary and the tomb. And the first verse goes like this, go to dark Gethsemane, you who feel the tempter's power, your redeemer's conflict see, watch with him one bitter hour, turn not from his griefs away, 
learn from Jesus Christ to pray. And friends, this morning we are invited to go to Gethsemane with Jesus so we can learn from him. Now Jesus went to Gethsemane after finishing the Last Supper with his disciples. If you've got those Bibles or Bibles apps open, you'll notice that Luke in his gospel does not use the name Gethsemane. He simply says that Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives and his disciples followed him. It's Matthew and Mark who tell us that this place on the lower slopes of the Mount of Olives was called Gethsemane, which was an Aramaic word meaning oil press. So it was probably a place where there were olive trees that would be then, the olives would then be pressed into oil. Now Luke had a habit in his gospel of not using Aramaic names, and so he uh, doesn't use that word Gethsemane. In John's gospel, he doesn't have a name for this place either, but he says that John, that Jesus went to a garden. And so we tend to put these things together and say that on this fateful night, Jesus was in the garden of Gethsemane. Now this spot was about a 15 minute walk out of Jerusalem. Luke tells us in uh, chapter 21, verse 37, that uh, during this last week for Jesus before his death, that every night he went out to this spot on the Mount of Olives. To get there, he'd have to walk through the Kidron Valley. And the Kidron Valley was a place where there were many Jewish cemeteries. One commentator I read wrote that uh, as Jesus made his way out of the room of the Last Supper, he would have seen the tombs shining in the moonlight. When I read that, I couldn't help but think of Psalm 23. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will not fear evil, for you are with me. As Jesus walks through the Kidron Valley to the Mount of Olives, there is a shadow of death hanging over him. He knows that his betrayal is coming soon. He knows what that betrayal will lead to his arrest, his suffering, his death. And as Jesus goes to Gethsemane, he needs to pray. And friends, we are invited to go with Jesus to Gethsemane. Because many of us are in a place already where the shadow of death is hanging over us. Many of us are anticipating suffering and grief. And we need to learn from Jesus how to pray. I read an article earlier this week from the Harvard Business Review called That Discomfort You're Feeling is Grief. It was an interview with David Kessler, who's an expert on grief. And in it, he talked about the stages of grief and, and how there's more than one kind of grief. There's the present grief uh, to many of us, that many of us are experiencing already, the many losses of these past few weeks, canceled trips, canceled parties, canceled sports games. Many of us are grieving that our kids might not see their teachers for many weeks or perhaps even the rest of the school year. I know some of you are grieving that your seniors won't have the graduation that you had hoped and expected for them. 
Some of you are grieving the fact that you can't be with your parents or your grandparents right now, and you don't know when you'll be able to hug them next. Some of us are grieving the loss of income, the, lo the loss of meaningful work. We are all grieving the loss of security and stability that we tend to hold so dear. That discomfort you're feeling is grief. There's more than one kind of grief. Kessler says there's also the experience of anticipatory grief. Anticipatory grief, he says, is that feeling we get about what the future holds when we're uncertain. When we are anticipating or expecting possible suffering or death for ourselves or a loved one, there's an experience of grief that goes with that. We can't help but imagine the worst case scenario. And all of this can lead to anxiety if we don't seek healthy practices in the midst of it. And so we need to go with Jesus to Gethsemane, to his place of anticipation, his place of anguish, his place of prayer. Because I believe that he offers us so much that we need right now. As we look at Luke 22, 39 to 46 together, I want to reflect on Jesus and the prayer he speaks, the response he receives, and the call he leads. First, the prayer that he speaks. As this shadow of death hangs over Jesus, he goes to his God in prayer. This is his connection point with God. If you read through Luke's gospel, you will see that at many of the most critical moments in Jesus' life and ministry, he is praying. He is intentional about talking with God, about communicating with God, about staying connected through prayer. And here at Gethsemane, Jesus' prayer is humble, it is honest, and it is faithful. The prayer that Jesus speaks is humble, honest, and faithful. Luke tells us that Jesus was on his knees as he prayed in Gethsemane. Now, while we see frequent references of Jesus praying, this is the only time he's described as kneeling. Usually it's someone else kneeling at the feet of Jesus, pleading for mercy or healing or forgiveness. But here in Luke 22, we see Jesus taking this posture of humility, of submission to God as he prays. Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. Jesus acknowledges that God has a purpose and a plan that he might not fully understand. And he humbles himself in faith. Jesus' prayer is also honest. He tells God what he desires. Now, the cup is a, an image often seen in the Old Testament uh, referring to suffering, cup of suffering. And Jesus asks God, take this cup from me. Take this suffering from me. I don't want to go through the pain that is ahead. Luke describes the anguish of Jesus in verse 44, that he was sweating as he prayed and his sweat were like drops of blood. Jesus was struggling, but he did not put on a stony, stoic face. What he did was go to God with an honest, 
vulnerable prayer, full of real emotion. Jesus was a human being, and he showed us how to pray with humility and honesty. And yet Jesus' prayer is also faithful. Not my will, but yours be done. Jesus knows that no matter what, he needs his connection to God right now. And so he speaks a prayer of lament. There's a strong tradition of lament in our scriptures. One third of the book of Psalms are prayers of lament. And yet we as 21st century Christians aren't always completely comfortable with these prayers that voice doubt and complaint and describe suffering and anguish. There's been a call in recent years by some very wise voices that we need to recover the practice of lament, that we tend to put a praise sheen on things far too often, and we need to look to the practice of lament to give voice to our suffering and even lead to healing. Soon Chan Ra has written a helpful book called Prophetic Lament. And he, he, he talks about how lament helps us engage honestly with God in the context of pain and trouble. James Bruckner, in a book on healthy human life, devotes a chapter to telling the truth in suffering. And he also commends us to look at the biblical tradition of lament. He writes about how the laments of affliction that we see in the Bible are more than complaining, although complaining is a part of them. He says, biblical lament is a complaint that is a desperate cry for help and relief. Ironically, it requires a strong character to turn toward God and the community in hope rather than retreating into isolation and despair. It takes faith to pray a prayer of complaint to God. And so as we look at the prayer that Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, we need to learn from Jesus that we can be honest about our worries and our grief, even as we humble ourselves before this God who is so much bigger than us. What matters most is that in times of challenge and testing and vulnerability, we are turning toward God. Put aside whatever picture you have of what prayer is supposed to look like and just talk with God. I heard a preacher say recently, God would rather have you yell at him than walk away from him. God wants to hear from us. And whatever words we come to him with, that is what he wants to hear so that we stay connected to him. It is through prayer, even if it's a messy, emotional, whining prayer. It is through prayer that we express our dependence on God. And even though it might not feel like it, that is faith that we are depending on God. So we look at Gethsemane at the prayer that Jesus prays. Let's talk about the response that he receives. The response that he receives when he prays this prayer at Gethsemane. God did not remove the cup of suffering from Jesus, but God did respond to Jesus' prayer. Luke tells us that an angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. 
And we can see that this strength from heaven made a real difference for Jesus. Verse 44 says that though he was in anguish, Jesus prayed more earnestly after this divine visitation. Friends, as we pray through our trials and our struggles, we need to remember that God may not respond in exactly the way or timing that we'd like, but he always comes through with his presence. If we will be open to that presence, there is great strength and endurance to be found. We need to be ready for the response that God might have as we call out to him in our time of testing and trial. We've looked at the prayer Jesus speaks, the response he receives. Let's talk about the call that he leads, the call to his disciples, the call to us today. This passage begins and ends with Jesus calling his disciples to pray. When Jesus first arrives at Gethsemane, he says to his disciples, pray that you will not fall into temptation. And then again in verse 46, at the end of this passage, he says, get up and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. But here we do not see Jesus' followers joining him in prayer. Instead, they're falling asleep. They're falling asleep. Now, it was probably late at night, true, but it was also Passover, and it was normal for Jewish believers to stay up late on the night of Passover. The disciples had surely been up past their bedtime before, but Luke tells us that they are exhausted from their sorrow. The disciples' response to the anticipatory grief they are experiencing as they are taking in the reality of what lies ahead for Jesus. Their response is to fall asleep. And friends, this is normal and natural. And I think we need to acknowledge that here Jesus does not condemn the disciples for this normal and natural response to grief. But he does call them to something else. Get up and pray. Get up and pray that you will not fall into temptation. Now the word here for temptation is the same word that Jesus uh, teaches his followers to pray daily. Lead us not into temptation. But we might better understand this word here as testing. In the coming hours and days, the disciples' faith will be tested. Jesus urges them to stay connected to God so they don't turn away, so they don't deny him, so they stay faithful. It is a time of testing. I read an op-ed piece in the Washington Post about three and a half weeks ago by Michelle Norris called The Coronavirus is Testing Us All. And Norris wrote as the virus was just starting to take hold in the United States, that regardless of whether we may be looking to get a medical test for COVID-19, all of us are being tested. And I think she was right. She was right three and a half weeks ago and is right today. That we are being tested in our care and compassion for one another. We are being tested in our ability to make wise and safe decisions. We are being tested in our patience and endurance. We are being tested in our faith. And Jesus says to us, get up 
and pray. In this time of testing, get up and pray. And so, friends, I want to challenge you this week to find your own Gethsemane prayer as you are in this place of anticipating grief, uh, of taking on the suffering of others, perhaps. Find your own Gethsemane prayer. Put words to your lament. Tell God your desires. Don't be afraid to acknowledge before God what does not feel right. Give words to the suffering you're experiencing. Be honest with God, even as you look to him with faith. I think these are the two most simple, essential elements of lament. A crying out to God, an honest plea, and yet a looking to God in faith. Find your own Gethsemane prayer. And then find a way to share that prayer, that lament with someone else. Maybe uh, you journal your prayers, and being able to do that is helpful. Um, but maybe you might talk with a trusted friend, someone that you can be honest and open with about what you're experiencing. One of the strange gifts of this time is that we are all going through this together. And so I think we're that much more ready to hear each other. And I want to encourage you to also look for ways that you can give space to someone else who, who needs to share what they are feeling, to share their lament, to share their concerns and fears. We all need to be heard. And so let's be careful not to silence the lament of those around us. And friends, as you get up and pray, be ready for God to come and meet you. Be on the lookout for his angels to attend to you. Watch for the ways that God will exercise your muscles of faith and make you stronger. We are in a time of testing, but God is faithful and he hears us and he will give us strength to endure. I'd like to close by praying for you. God, thank you for your son, Jesus, who you sent to experience this whole wild life of being a human being on planet Earth. And we know that he went through so many of the ups and downs of regular life, and then he also went through intense suffering like we could never understand. Thank you for this picture of him in the Garden of Gethsemane, of calling out to you with honest, earnest prayer, faith-filled prayer. I pray for my brothers and sisters today that you would open up spaces for us that we can come to you with honest, earnest, faith-filled prayers, that we can stay connected to you even as we have our fears and our worries about what is going on around us. God, I pray that you would bless my brothers and sisters, that you would come and meet with them in a new and special way, that you would give them strength and give them the hope that comes through your son, Jesus. Amen. God bless you, my friends.